0: in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Mind Jam podcast, and I'm so excited about today's guest. Dr. Becker and I have literally been giant fans of Tamar Geller. Tamar, thank you so much for joining us. I have to say, like during these times right now, you must be the number one go-to person right now on the West Coast. We have the terrible COVID-19 that's spreading all over the world, and now in, in Los Angeles and all around the United States, you have Ryan. I can only imagine what households are like with people and pets and your phone must be blowing up.
1: Number one, I'm so excited to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, I love you and I admire you for all the wonderful, necessary battles you took over the years to help dogs and their Parents. I mean, this is amazing. So thank you so much for having me on. And yes, my phone has been blowing off with calls because while they were forced to be indoors for such a long time, many of them have not found the joy from the kids and the spouse and the significant other as much. So they were looking for the dog to find their joy. So it was interesting because I did not get the calls as much as I thought of my dog is misbehaving as much as how can I have better relationship with my dog? Because he is the one place you share, the one place that I can get so much peace, so much joy. It's almost like a guarantee return on investment. Yeah. And, and it was really incredible for me to see. You know, Tamar, I have seen that as well, that people that,
2: let's say, have well-trained dogs, I'm sure many of your clients have perfectly trained dogs, sit, stay, down, heel But when it comes to helping them cope with emotional stress, they,
1: they, they're they not equipped. There you go. So let me tell you about the client that I just saw. The dog dad called me and he said, my dog just chewed the outside walls of my house, $50,000 damage. And uh, he said, so I sent him to training and they use shock collar. The dog was five months old, from five months to nine months old, the dog had shock collar on him on a daily basis. He came back to his home even worse than he was before. And I said to him, time out, time out. Why is the dog chewing? So obviously the first thing we looked at anxiety. And as you know, the first thing when I'm looking at anxiety, I have to look at the diet because we know the not- microbiome and the vagus nerve communicate to the nervous system, to the sympathetic nervous system. So of course he was on keyboard. We changed that. But he wasn't doing what I was hoping he going to do. He brought the dog to me, and I said, let the dog live with me for a little bit. We call it training vacation, where I take a couple of dogs at a time, and they become my dog. They sleep with me. They eat with me. They're my dog. And what I noticed very quickly is that huge, is a 110-pound doodle. that all the time he was doing that, it became very obvious that the dog has OCD. And what I believe happened is that he was having OCD before. He doesn't know how to connect. You can say that he's on the spectrum, but the regular dog training just saw a dog who is not obeying. He did not care to see that the dog was in a way prison in his own limitation, physical limitation, the way you will see an autistic kid, for example. Or OCD kid, or OCD person, we have to touch the doorknob three times. We have to count everything. It's, it's, it's an imprisonment of sorts. And we start working with him. We got a vet involved. We put him on some medicine, and I did life skills training with him and helping him to trust. The dog is back. The dog is ha- with his parents. The dog is happy. The dog is delightful because it's nothing to do like, Karen, what you said which sits, they come down and heal. It's about how can we help a dog who have a problem to see where the problem comes from and how to give the solution as if it was a human being asking for help. I think that sometimes part of this is dog
2: owners, pet parents say, well, my dog's already been through training. Why is he doing this? And and, and part of it is that that training is very different than a re, than the relationship. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, y- you You have a very different viewpoint on that.
1: Yes, I do. When you teach a dog, sit, stay, come down and heal, and you think this is all the dog needs to learn. I equate it teaching somebody to speak six foreign languages, but not addressing the fact that the man or the woman has social anxiety and they will never open their mouth and speak even their native language. So what it is, those five commands, which right away, the whole premise needs to be changed of commands and everything, they are not life skills. And I believe dog training has failed dogs and has failed people because they make dogs wrong by not understanding how to adjust to a completely different culture than their own. Just by those five comments, we need to teach dogs life skills, not commands. Dogs are unique individuals. And what I think the invitation from life is for to look at each dog as the individual and to teach them the foundation of life skills. What am I talking about life skills? I'm talking about how not to be triggered, or if they are triggered, how to manage the emotional state when they are triggered. I can tell you, I wish my parents taught me that when I was young because there the are things that trigger me. Anywhere from somebody who still my parking spot right when I was waiting or somebody now at this time where everybody is upset and a little bit more on edge and people are more reactive. I mean, I really have to manage my trigger I, was, I wasn't I was taught that. And I think dogs who come from a completely different environment where they live with the same pack, the same group of dogs, they never meet a stranger that is a friend. This is not normally nature. Here they have to meet a stranger, a dog, while they're being restrained on a leash as they're going on a walk. It's going to be equivalent that I'm asking a person to go for a walk restrained and to walk next to a grizzly bear, their nervous system gonna react. And if somebody gonna scream at the person, don't react to the grizzly bear. How dare you choke, choke, choke that the person gonna see. Are you crazy? There's a grizzly bear. Why are you attacking me? You're supposed to be my parent. Do you understand? So we need to understand how dog sees our human society, our human life, and how can we help them? Not by telling them, sit, stay, as the dog come close to them. The biggest issue that I see is aggression that is being misunderstood because it has been perpetuated by the media that when a dog is not listening to you, they are either stupid, stubborn, or dominant. I call it the SSD disease. Stupid, stubborn, or dominant. And with aggression, most of the time, aggression is misunderstood as dominant when, in effect as we all know, is the nervous system trying to protect itself. 99% of cases of aggression that I see with dogs is actually fear-based. And so, treat-based ultra-positive trainers, you know, have one
2: idea, and then dominant force trainers have a different idea. You may end up getting your dog to sit, but the end result of the fear, intimidation, cortisol, stress response, relationship, trust that the dog has, are totally
1: different depending on how you got the dog to hold the sit state. Because a lot of people don't realize that there's right and there's wrong, and just going to one trainer does not mean, oh, it didn't work, because there is accumulate damage. It's kind of like if you do surgery, there is scar tissue. You cannot just say, oh, let me do just another surgery. There is scar tissue that happened there, so there is a cumulative damage if you go to a dog training, particularly when the brain is still malleable, when the puppies are still young, and you are creating a nervous system that is now trained to be triggered, to be on high alert. I really would like people to know that they, that when they take a dog to any dog training, that can be damaged. One of the biggest issues that I have, honestly, is like when people take the dogs to those classes that held in stores or, or in parks, where all the dog has to focus is, like you said, on the sit and stay. And if the dog is fearful, if the dog is worried, they are not looking, how can I support you? They are looking at, you have a job to perform. And they are actually causing so much damage. And a breakdown in the relationship, in the safety, because the relationship needs to be a safe place, whether it's with a dog, whether it's with a human. And if the dog doesn't feel that you are their safe place, right there, we do not have a foundation for anything. We interviewed some
2: great scientists from Budapest last week, and they were saying, which you and I already know, that one traumatic event, and this is true of kids too, one traumatic event event, which rocks your feeling or your dog's feeling of safety is actually enough to potentially impact their lifespan, which, which I think anyone working with animals can see that it can create lifetime of PTSD, one yes. negative experience. One, I'm going to go, go as far as to say one missed experience where you thought you were doing the right thing, or you sent your dog away for training and you got a whole different dog back. Yeah, Those types of experiences shape dogs potentially forever. So a lot of what people end up doing, sadly, is damage control for not recognizing that the technique, the approach, fostered additional fear instead of helping to establish better communication. How much of what you do is damage control or reparative relationship work versus proactively laying the foundation for a safe relationship
1: to begin. What is? Are you 50-50? I bet you do a whole lot more damage control. When they come to me when the puppy is brand new, hopefully it wasn't damaged while at the breeder because we know the trauma can happen in utero. We have Stanford did the research on that. Uh, there's a beautiful book written called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcer by a Professor Robert Spolasky in Stanford. And he done all the research on trauma and how if your mother was experienced stress. Like I said, the mother dog was experienced a lot of stress. She was a street dog. She was kicked or she was in a puppy mill. There's all the cortisol that the puppies are being marinated in. So if the pups are being, as you know, marinated in stress hormones, the puppies already can come up stressed. So when I'm getting a dog, what I'm trying to do is to see, are there any already red flags that I need to watch for trauma that has happened? from utero or from the breeder. And then when they come to me, I'm trying to make sure that the dog parents would not inflict damage unbeknownst to them. That is my number one for foundation. But honestly, when they come to me, when a dog is a little bit older, is like 100% is I need to do damage control. I need to fix, I need to heal, I need to repair. I need to apologize to the dog of what was done to them in the name of training. And, and and it's horrific. It's horrific sometimes. I mean, I have people here come to my home and they're in tears. They are feeling so many times horrible of what they've done to the dog, unbeknownst to them. The people who are coming to me are not the jerks who tie the dogs in the yard and leave them out to the element. These are not my clients. My clients are people who really see the dog as a family member, but there's so much bad information out there by people who are great marketers and the consumer tells me i I don't know who to listen to i don't know who to listen to i go to the vet the vet said don't dare to feed raw only feed kibble here's the kibble and they're coming to me and said no 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 do not feed kibble so then i said that's what i don't want you to feed kibble it's going to impact your dog's behavior it's going to impact your dog's anxiety it's going to impact your dog's ability to focus And they're like, but the vet said to me not to. So there's so much bad information out there that it just takes a lot to teach people not to listen to the marketing. Go with your gut. Start using your own common sense.
0: This is actually how you and I met in these conversations. I get sometimes invited to different types of lectures around the world. And and when trainers invite me in to come in and speak, It's always seems like there's a shock in the room when nutrition comes into play, right? It's like, I think for decades and decades, nutrition has never been part of a conversation. And then here comes like a mountain of human research. And you mentioned it right in the beginning of the podcast. You were talking about the gut-brain access and how important that is for mood and behavior. You know, how important, first of all, not only, you know, if you want to break down nutrition into categories, you have your gut. And the bacteria that are in your gut, and I know there's been studies, several studies that have been done in children, in humans, and in pets, showing that if you have an imbalance in your gut, sometimes by just supplementing a specific strain that's missing, you see a change in behavior in the animal. Or talking about like inflammatory foods and what that could potentially do to the brain. There was like several studies where you know you have these dogs with cognitive issues, and you know adding certain omegas to the diet, and you know the MCT omega three famous study that came out that by supplementing those two combinations together, you saw pr- improvement in mood, in dogs. And then to go into like what you just said, talking about inflammatory foods or foods that will constantly give a high uptake of glucose, a high charge of blood sugar start to escalate, insulin starts to release in the body, and you get a change. When we first met, I remember how, like, I was just mind blown by you because you were talking about nutrition when a lot of people weren't talking about nutrition. How ingrained in that is, you know, in your philosophies and your consultations? Like, where is that on your list, nutrition? And how are you finding people responding to you when you do bring that up?
1: I cannot even tell you how important the diet is for me. It's one of the four life skills, one of the four pillars that I need to do with a dog for a dog to to change, to change. And every time I'm going to meet somebody, I'm like dreading it because I know I'm going to butt heads with a vet. And one of the things that I tell people, look, not only I don't sell you dog food, I'm not giving you one dog food that you need to buy. I'm giving you many different dog foods. And I don't even need to give you dog foods. I can just send you to Planet Pause. I can send you to read about the diet because we need, I want you to be effective. I'll give you an example. I had two big, um, again, Labradoodles. I get a lot of the doodle mixes. And they came to me and they were hyper, big time. And they belong to a very famous chef uh, on TV. And I and he, so he knows diet and everything and, or cooking. and. I said to him, I need to change the dog from cable to real food. And he goes, I don't want to do it that big. It's cost money. I don't want to do it. And I said, OK, two dogs. Let me give it a shot. After two weeks, I said to him, I'm going to pay for it. I need to see. And, and I had him for one after one week being on complete proper food. He looked at me and he goes, oh, my God. I said to him, you are working so hard. Not knowing that you are shooting, it's, it's like going on a treadmill. You're going, 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 and not getting anywhere. You All your effort that you're putting into your dogs goes nowhere because the diet that you gave them prevented your dog from focusing on not being hyper. In order for the behavior training that I'm doing, the life skills coaching that I'm doing for the dog, we need to help them to have the ability to have cognition, to focus, to think. And it was very interesting because I was just working with another client that they when I was talking the diet, the son perked up. The son is 17 years old and he was always um, looked down upon by his teacher because he had ADHD. But he doesn't look like that anymore. And he's an amazing athlete now and everything. And I said, what happened? And he said, I researched it and in the last year I changed my diet and I cut out sugars. I cut out simple carbohydrates. I cut and then I added all these. He was just talking about everything and I looked at him and I said, That's exactly what I want you to do for your dog. And what was amazing, the son knew and the father goes, No, all my dogs were on cable. This is going to stay on cable. But to see that it connect, do you know how I felt? I wanted to cry. Yeah. I wanted to cry when you see your son and you're still saying, no, my dogs can be on kibble. My other dogs ate kibble. Yeah. It is huge. It's very hard for me to work with a dog who eats inappropriate yeah. it,
2: food. I, I think part of that is tomorrow. That I have some people that say, listen, I'm spending $120 for a bag of kibble. And then I'm spending another $100 on calming supplements. It's just like eating McDonald's and then taking a bunch of multivitamins. All of the pills in the world don't make up for nutritional deficiency that really can only be cured through eating foods that nourish your body at a cellular level. And that's, I think, maybe a disconnect that people don't understand. You are one of the few relationship coaches for dogs yeah. that, that really chooses to focus on nutrition. But you have some other kind of core needs that you focus on food is one of them what are your other focuses tomorrow
1: so one of my you know tony robbins who is a dear friend of mine and i studied with him for decades he coined the concept of the six human needs that it doesn't matter if you live in canada or in the united states or in israel uh, we all have the same basic needs and when i started working with dogs from a behavioral point of view, it became very evident to me that dogs share five of those needs with us. And dogs, doesn't matter if they're Chihuahua or Great Dane, just like it doesn't matter what country we are from, they all, we have the same share core needs. So when I'm starting to work with a dog, the first thing that I'm looking is to see what are the two needs that drive that particular dog. I'll give you the the list of the needs. One of the needs that we all need to have is the need for certainty. The need for predictability, the need for safety. And until we feel safe, we cannot have a thriving life. So we have our safety, but also what we need is the opposite. We need uncertainty a little bit. We need variety, why? Because having too much certainty It's boring. We are going crazy being stuck at home all the time, right? So we need variety. We also have the need to feel that we love and belonging, love and connection. We have our group of people that we see things eye to eye with us. We have the church that we go to. We have the the hobbies. We have our friends. We belong. But within fitting in, we also need the opposite, which is to be significant, to stand out to know that what we do matters, to know that we are being noticed, we are not being overlooked, as we see now so many, you know, grouping populations saying, you overlooked us. We need to be seen, we need to be significant. So we have certainty and uncertainty, we have love and connection and the opposite significance. The fifth need that people and dogs share is the need for growth, the need for learning, the need for doing something better. Every blade of grass, every leaf in nature is either growing or dying. Nothing stays the same. Every relationship, our brain, everything we need to grow. Dogs shared that the sixth need for people is the need for contribution. Dogs I do not feel have that need to contribute. I do feel that dogs have a need for a level of social physical exercise that through games and, and, and interacting with other dogs, it meets so many of the needs. It nourishes a lot of the needs. So when I'm looking at dogs and the parents, by the way, I'm looking to see what are the top needs that meet them. I'll give you an example. If you are dating someone and your number one need is certainty, and their number one need is uncertainty, you're gonna have a problem when you go on vacation because your certainty need will have you just sitting by the pool with a book, where the uncertainty need gonna have you jump from airplanes. So we have to really match on a core level what are the needs. How many times I see people get a dog based on looks, not realizing that that dog needs a lot more mental stimulation Then you are just wanting to sit and watch, you know, you just want to go and sit, watch reality shows. And your dog wants out, 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 exercise, growth, teach me. I want to learn, use me, use my brain. So there's no match. I mean, people I see getting French bulldogs, not realizing that French bulldogs are not cute little dogs. They're like, because they're small, that intense personality, that the number one drive may not be just to sit and love you. They may have other drive, which I see oftentimes with French bulldogs, which is significance. Show me. Let me show you who I am and everything. So I have to first look at the two needs that drive the dog and the two needs to drive the person and to see that they match. So when I'm looking at the needs, I'm looking what two are the needs and are you meeting them, Mr. Doggy, in the light way? And are you, the dog parent, aware What it is that you want your dog to do instead, because what bothers me the most with dog training, traditional, is that they tell the dog what's no. They don't tell the dogs what they can do instead to meet that need. They want the dog to erase the need. And we can't erase. We have to replace. You know, I think it's a lot like raising
2: kids, you know. but found the foundation of love, security, and trust yes. trumps you know how if your kid says, "Please and thank you," and how your kid looks, I think we're, fo- we're really focused on training. We want animals and humans to act a certain way.
1: That's why I don't care if you sit and stay for 30 minutes. Okay. I really want to make sure that you enjoy laying down by my side, because if you enjoy laying down by my side then you would do the sit stay on the down stay anyhow
0: so one of the cores that you mentioned which is, is so critically important pertaining to exercise how important that is in your in your regime Do you find that there's a big disconnection when it comes to the level of exercise between one individual and another, like where one person will say, well, I have a big backyard, so I just open the door and I let the dog go in the backyard. And then the other person that says, well, you know, I walked to the end of the driveway and I went back. How hard is it for you to to explain exercise to people and how they perceive exercise to be?
1: You know, one of the things is I really want people to ask their dog. Talk to the dog and ask the dog what they feel. Because when they tell me I have a Siberian husky and he's tearing my house apart, so the first thing I'm looking, obviously, is diet and exercise. And I find that they took the dog for an hour walk around the block. And and I go, and? And he goes, well, isn't that enough? And I go, ask your dog. Would your dog tell you it's enough? And they go, no, my dog wants to keep playing. I said, okay. So, you're not providing your dog the need. He has all that energy buildup. Now what? what? What do you want your dog to do with that? But if you have a dog who is 12 years old, overweight, eating nothing but processed foods, and you're taking that dog, you know, who is 20 pounds for an hour walk, and the dog is waddling, suffering, you know, then that's not a good thing. What is it that your particular dog will enjoy to do? You know, also I see a lot of times uh, dogs who are extremely nervous that the last thing that they want to do is go outside to go for a walk and the people are like, but they need to get exercise. Your physical exercise is not coming close to the stress level that they walk on a leash causing your dog. So in that case, we cannot walk your dog outside because you're not getting the benefit of the physical exercise because the stress hormone is, is, is you know, overflowing. So it's kind of like to really connect with the dog and ask the dog what is it that is the best for them and find ways to meet those needs. Modern
2: life brings about some pretty amazing amenities. And you are in an environment in LA where you see a lot, I'm sure, you know, a lot of dogs that appear to be in beautiful homes with lavish extravagance. And yet, maybe those dogs are experiencing 67% loneliness or they're not being understood. And yet every possible need is being met except maybe the emotional connection. Do you find yourself being a more much more so of a, a relationship
1: communicator facilitator in these situations? You know, I remember one time I was staying at Oprah's house working with her golden retrievers and, and we, the, the dogs kept doing things and everything. And I kept explaining it to her and I kept bringing it up back to human relationship. And she looked at me and she goes, you're not a dog trainer. And I was like, what? I'm not a dog. I thought she was telling me that I'm failing her and broke my heart. And she goes, no, you are a life coach for dogs and their people. And that was like 13, 14 years ago before any of us knew the term life coach. I didn't know what it meant. But it was, yes, at the end of the day, we all want to be understood because we all want to connect. There's nothing more important in the world than when you feel that you're connected to somebody else. It fills you up. It fills you har- your heart. And that is what I'm doing for dogs. I want dogs to be understood. I want people to be understood. And I want them to connect. If we can make dogs connect, be, dog be understood, reject the old way of dog training, reject the nonsense of dominance and submission, then the world going to be a better place. Because if we understand our beloved doggies, we can understand other people in our life who are different than us. And that is exactly what I'm here to serve.
0: Again, a big giant thank you, Tamar, for, for coming on and for sharing your incredible knowledge. Where can people find you? Like if people want more and, and they need more, where can people find you? I would love them
1: to go to theloveddog.com, the love dog website, and sign for the give me the emails because I'm about to do online videos that are gonna have a lot of free content that's gonna change people's relationship with their dogs. We'll get them to understand the thelovedog.com and on Instagram, the loved Dog.
0: The incredible human, Tamar Geller, ladies and gentlemen. Tamar, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and get this incredible advice to everybody who's watching. Tamar, Dr. Karen Becker, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And we'll see you again on another episode of the Mind Jam podcast. See you later.